Hello, my friends. Welcome back to The Conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here. Today, we're talking about vulnerability. Dan, Adrian, and I dive in talking about what it means to be vulnerable and what the the role of vulnerability in leadership is. I had a fantastic time in this conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Conversation. My name is Chad Brown. This is the Naked Leadership Podcast. And as usual, I'm here with Dan Takini and Adrian Kaler. And today we are talking about vulnerability. Vulnerability is a topic that seems to be getting a lot more traction. At least we're, we're talking about it a lot more in the leadership space, the business space. And uh, it's getting some you know, big names behind it, some, some pretty cool researchers and authors. One that comes to mind for me is Brene Brown. Um, she's been talking a lot about vulnerability, doing a lot of research, especially in the context of team leading and corporate, uh, the corporate setting. And uh, I'm excited for this conversation because when I started having a conversation with Dan and Adrian about vulnerability, it completely changed my perspective and my idea of what it means to be vulnerable, how we be vulnerable, and uh, also what that means in the context of our leadership with those who we lead, those who we work with day in and day out. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Dan, Adrian, how are you guys doing? Good, man. Good to be here. Doing great. Yeah. Good. So uh, we, um, we're jumping into this conversation for a second time. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of being vulnerable speaking of being vulnerable second time's a charm that's what they say right uh so uh equipment failure on the first time uh, or technology or internet we're not quite sure but we're jumping in again and we're talking about vulnerability in the context of leadership and i'm 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 interested to start the conversation talking about let's get some definitions or at least some ideas around vulnerability and what we're talking about when we talk about vulnerability. I think a lot of people for so long, it has been looked at as weakness, right? Or, or exposing our weaknesses and how in the world are we going to be respected as leaders if we show vulnerability or show our weakness? Is that a question? Yeah. (laughs) I thought you named it pretty good. Um, You know, Yeah, it's it's like um, it's it feels like a weakness when you're vulnerable, right? And it may very well be. It, it's obviously a point, a, a, a way that you can be hurt. And but I think it it actually for me, it first occurred to me that I was vulnerable when I was about seven, eight years old, sitting in a rocking chair, thinking about realizing that I was going to come to an end, and I'll never forget sitting in that chair and not feeling like there's nowhere to go. I can't escape this. It's not like I have a, it's not like all I can do is kind of pretend like it's not going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and so at a very young age, it was something I was very interested in, in just because I can't get away from it. You know, I, there's no, there's no way of, even though your my brain and now I've learned, you know, you know, neuroscientifically, your brain's actually designed to, kind of let you forget or avoid it does all kinds of things to so you don't you're not so stressed out about the fact that you know it could end at any moment right and it kicks in all those survival mechanisms that exhaust you with adrenaline because you're constantly looking on guard you know 
So I, I know from a very young age, that feeling of vulnerability. I, I, mean, I, think, I, I think about the first time I got in a fight with this kid who's two years older than me, and I tried to, I couldn't run because I could not run him. He wanted to fight. I tried to appease him by when he hit me the first time. I acted like I was devastated, but it didn't seem to slow him down. I realized, oh my God, kind of like life. If I can't get away from it and I can't appease it, well, then I'm just going to have to face it, you know, or get, just be real about the fact that hmm, it's going to end. I might as well get real about that. I wonder what, you know, what opens up out of that. Yeah, I I can relate. You know, as you talk about. I don't think it was that young when I started contemplating the the permanence of death, but I can definitely relate to this idea of as an, as an adolescence or a young kid starting to understand what vulnerable vulnerability meant. I didn't have words behind it, obviously, but it was, for me, it came up of like uh, looking like a sissy or am I, am I able to hang with the, with the boys and, and do the things that the third graders are supposed to do? Am I willing to jump off that jump built with bricks and, and uh, scrap wood? And uh, if not, what does that mean about me? And that's, that's what vulnerability started cement in for me was, am I, am I willing to, uh, to, to, to show when I'm unsure? Right. Or am I, or am I willing to jump in and do the things I want to do regardless of what other people think? Uh, you know, it's become like common vernacular, the whole idea of like the imposter syndrome, which is typically, you know, I don't know many, I don't know many leaders that don't talk about that or have that kind of feeling like, you know, and I think people when talk, then they talk about the imposter syndrome. They're saying like that they're, uh, they're more insecure than they let on. Um, then I, I, I've known that since I was thinking, you know, I remember, <laughs> I remember just kind of wanting some kind of, as a teenager, I wanting some kind of mentor to like put his hand on my shoulder and say, Hey, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Mm. Yeah. Or like, yeah, letting me know, Hey, all this stuff that's going on for you, but underneath the surface, it probably sounds like this and this and this and this, no problem. That's what every, that's what everybody feels like, but I didn't have that person or didn't voice it. Um, to others. So, so much of my life was a public presentation and I was really good at like making things happen and making things work and kind of putting out my best face. But then internally had these kind of deep waters of insecurity, fear, um, uncertainty, um, all that stuff that I just, I, I decided that if, if I let that be known, then people wouldn't like the external Adrian I'd shown them. So, uh, you know, so then there was like this, oh, there's like these two pers personas, if you will. And I think, I, I think in the, in, the, in the clearest sense, or maybe the most healthy sense, maybe, of uh, vulnerability, it's like this integration process of, hey, all of this is what's true. Like, we've got our, our executive function, our chooser, our... Um, strategic side, our ambitious side, our productive side, and we can't escape that voice in the back of our head that says, this might not work out. You don't know what you're talking about. You're about to fail. I'm about to lose it all. Like, I, I do this all the time. Like, I, when I'm headed into something that's, I know it's important to me, whether like a training with a team that I care about or um, a big opportunity, I'll tell myself, 
like let's say the thing's happening at 2 p.m. I know the conversations that are coming up at 1 p.m. I know what they are. And they are, Adrian, you're not smart enough. Adrian, you don't know what you're talking about. Adrian, you're going to look like a fool. Adrian, you wore the wrong pair of pants today. Like all those conversations are coming only because I'm choosing to like go after something. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, and, and I don't have a problem with those combos, but I know they're coming now because I know they're already there. I mean, they might be quiet for a minute, but they're going to start speaking up because, you know, that those insecurities are there to serve me um, in one sense of saying, like they serve me because they pull me off of the ledge. They pull me off of the stage. They pull me off of uh, really giving myself fully. Like the, uh, I use those conversations or those conversations even use me um, to, to, to protect myself. And that, and that's from the vulnerability that is like really like being fully out there. Yeah. You know, you're, you're kind of Shakespearean and kind of Shakespeare said, we weep to have what we, you know, that which we fear to lose. Right. So Mm. there's a paradox, right. It's like the more you invest, the more aware you are that what you've invested in is temporal and you're, it's going to, go the way of everything else dust right i I think we all have that in us and and if you go to prison like i work with kids in prison and kids and and also adults and one of the great vulnerabilities is to long for anything right because the more i can de-invest myself the less life can have an impact on me it's like like kind of what um mark twain said men die at 27 we just bury them at 72 and i think it's just a it's almost like a physiological defense mechanism uh, that we just start to engage in, in cynicism, right? Um, so that we don't have to get too involved in something that's ultimately we feel is going to be disappointing. Yeah. Like, why should I care? That kind of, like, think about it. I mean, at work, if you're working with your team and it's not working and you think you've tried everything that's possible, well, the last thing is to, why should I even care if they don't care, right? Yeah. And, and that's ultimately the undoing. That's kind of the, the um, leveling of any culture is that feeling that you can't make a difference. So what, what the next best thing is, if you can't make a difference, like in that fight, then you try to appease it. You appease yourself or by making it yeah. something, try to convince yourself you really don't care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or how often I, I like justify the indifference, you know, yeah. or, or justify the apathy. It's like whenever there's a, when there's a conversation I know needs to happen and I don't have it, then I have to go to work to make me right for not having it. Yeah. Well, it's incredible use of imagination, right? Like I'm going to imagine all the reasons why I ought not do it. And I'm going to become very articulate in it. And then when some knucklehead comes along and, and addresses my, the defeat in my language, <laughs> then I get defensive and pissed off. Who do you think you are? You don't know. You don't know what I can't do. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, one of the things that I, I love that you talk about, and I, I experienced this idea of vulnerability through one of your trainings, the, the Revenant, um, I was back in the back of the room cat- capturing a bunch of content for some of our social media, and I was just so grateful to be part of this conversation. It changed the way I look at vulnerability, and that is we are already vulnerable. You yeah. have no choice in the matter. So there's, there's like this, this pop culture vernacular right now, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook, and, and it's almost memeable. Not almost, it is memeable. It is like memeable. There's these, yeah. there's these memes out there that's just like, become vulnerable. Be Choose vulnerable. vulnerability. 
Here's vulnerability. And that's just not true. We are already vulnerable. Just as you started the conversation talking about it as a young kid, contemplating the depths and permanence of death, you have no choice in that. Yeah. I, right? and, and the choice is ours to have courage to live from our vulnerability. You know, you know, you, the language itself, you know, choose vulnerability, um, become vulnerable in and of itself presupposes some control that we have over it. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. right? It's yeah. like, but, but it really, the point is uh, inhabit it. Adrian used another term I really liked. What'd you say? You yeah. see? You, uh, you, yeah, my, my 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 work for myself is to claim it. To claim it, yeah, I love yeah. that. That's you that, know that, like that his, clicks for me. Yeah. Well, and this is the huge part of my work. Uh, in for me, like as I'm doing, always doing my internal work. I mean, and a lot of this coaching work is for me. You know, I'm in this because I I need it. Um, or it, like being in this type of transformational work is actually uh, enlivens me in ways. So. Uh, uh, all that to say is like my, my, the work that I've, that I'm into for myself is just to first off, like be okay with all the insecurity that's here. Yeah. Yeah. Be, like, be okay with it. Be okay with all the fears that are here. Be okay with all the reactions that are here. Be okay with all the brokenness that's here, quote unquote brokenness or like the weakness that's here. Or like my, you know, uh, uh, less flattering moments. You know, like when I don't look the way I want to look externally, like be okay with that. Like that, that's not, that's not, there's not some kind of loss. I mean, I, I know I spent 36 ish years yeah. thinking that, like thinking that like looking really good externally. Like when was, you say be okay, you mean like be like, like, Hey, that's just the way it is at this moment. Right. Yeah. Like acceptance, I mean, I have, like I, acceptance self-acceptance. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, self because you, you think about it. You, you hit a point that really nailed me. When I was a young guy, I was about, I think it was 28, 29, uh, was working in the human potential movement. And the guy mentoring me, John Hanley, was, had me in front of a camera. He used to put us in front of a camera for you know, a couple hours a week. And then he would work us, right? He would have us notice things. And one of the things he kept pointing out to me, he'd say, do you notice that you need to know? Like you always go, I know, I know. I know. And I go, well, I do know. And then he would go, we go back and forth. He goes, what, but what if he didn't, would you want to know? <laughs> I was like, and, and the thing was, he, he was getting at, I remember standing in front of a room for almost an hour and a half working. He was working with me on this because his point was, look, man, if you're trying to get rid of your, your, if you think you're going to eliminate the things that get in your way, like your defensiveness, like your self-righteousness, like your bullshit, like the way you lie to make yourself look better, which I, he would show me in my language I was doing. He said, you'll never transform because those things are there. They actually serve you in certain circumstances. But at the same time, if you, they're also allies. They're not enemies. Even though they can be an enemy, they're only an enemy because you resist them is what he's getting at, right? And that if you want really to transform, you got to integrate that. You got to like, you be willing to hug the cactus as a way that the, the you know, the desert fathers in the, in the Catholic faith would call it is hug the cactus, right? Look into the things, get real and familiar with the things you hold against yourself. 
and because they'll become allies when they come up, they're actually indicating that you're probably in new territory and there's something to be curious about, not certain about, right? And, and mm. you can be, you know, like, the confidence is the willingness to admit, it's like a leap of faith to be vulnerable. It's like that willingness to admit that I don't know what's here. This is the variable. Yeah. Yet, I know that what's in that cave of, of uncertainty is the gift. Like, am I willing to open myself up? And you think about how many clients, I, I'm thinking about our clients, that we end up in the conversation with them about, uh, about that variable of vulnerability, like, because it's a variable because yeah. you don't know how people, but it's the variable. If you're not willing to face that variable, if you're not willing to face that um, nuance, then you are really never going to find, you're going to constantly reproduce the thing you say you really don't want. And, and we, I remember we never get enough of what we really don't want because we can predict it. Right. And, and that was Hanley really working with me that comes to my mind a lot. You just brought it up. Like rather than trying to eliminate it, yeah, I might as well get to know it and it takes its rightful place. It, it, go, it, it, it doesn't overshadow my life and, and kind of corral me into a certain cycle of behavior. Yeah. I can feel certain about and be right about. I, if it's yeah. okay, I'd, I'd love to, just slow down here for just a second because I think this idea of integration is an entirely new idea for most people. I know it absolutely was for me. This came up for me when I decided to really study fear and take a good look at my fears. And I took, you know, I, I kind of separated myself from all the other study I was doing and I decided I wanted to understand fear as much as I could. And towards the end of that six months where I focused completely on fear, I came to the conclusion that it's not going anywhere. Mm. And my attempt to make it go away was exhausting. Yeah, it exacerbates it, right? Yes. And it creates, it makes it more prevalent. It's like those and, superhero movies, you know, the more energy you get in like the, that soup, that the villain that can soak up the energy gets bigger and bigger with all the energy you throw at it. Right. That's right. That's right. And so for me, the only answer, and I had heard this from both of you, but never really understood is this idea of integration, yeah. the ability or the choice to integrate. And for me, it was fear, but now we're talking about vulnerability or those, those areas where we well, are, are worried that we're looking weak or that we're making mistakes how do we integrate that into our work, especially in the context of leadership yeah. and not because I think the great fear is we'll look weak or we'll look like we not, we don't know what we're doing. If we integrate, admit and live out of the places we're vulnerable. It's a very union principle. It's, you know, it's called, he calls it shadow work or I've heard that term used quite a bit in the, you know, it's just a very union thing, like like to look into your dark side, look into the things that you fear the most. And, and uh, as the desert fathers say, hug the cactus and, and come to terms with them in the sense that what are they telling me about what's happening for me in that moment? And how can that be a doorway rather than a wall? Right. Yeah. That's what integration is. You know, if you think about it, integrity, it come to, came to me out of the sense out of, considering what integrity is, the wholeness of my being, right? Yeah. And that's what Jung was going after as well. Yeah. Well, there's a part of 
I think there's a part, I mean, I, I, as I was sitting here listening, taking some notes, I, I just wrote down the phrase, all work is so human. And, and like w- what I was thinking about that is like, we don't get to escape the human experience inside of any context, including the one of work where we go and do, do, you know, put on our clothes and, and go, you know, <laughs> uh, do our job. There's just so much humanity that's there waiting for us, unfortunately. You know, we unfortunately, unfortunately, unfortunately for, and fortunately for us, I mean, if we decide to engage it, because I mean, part of, I was just thinking about one of, you know, there's some core human lies that are, have been here since the beginning of time. One of which is um, either look good or be good or act like it. Um, oh. like, you know, put on a good, put on a good face. Yeah. And that's like, you know, that's, I mean, there's just some, I call it the math. There's some, like some human math there thinking like, okay, either know what I'm doing or act like I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, instead yeah. of knowing that I don't, uh, I, I rarely am ever going to like really fully know what I'm doing um, because I, you know, we don't know until we get some results if it worked or not. Um, but we usually want to take away some of those variables around work itself and around the, the human corporate endeavor um, because there's so many variables there and we don't know if it's going to work or not. And I'd rather, if it doesn't work, I'm already, I'm already planning for ways to justify why it didn't work. Oh man. Um, and, and we spend so much time already either covering our ass about what didn't work or pre covering our ass about what might not work. And it's interesting if, you know, when we get into the conversations with our clients around fears that they have about taking a stand you know, in their organization, usually it's managing up and, and really finding a way to communicate it is that I always like to go to the worst case. Like, well, let's talk about the worst case, right? Because that's usually what people don't want to look into. They just feel it. So they don't want to look into it. And then it becomes, Oh, of course you wouldn't do this. It's stupid. Right. But let's talk about what if you did do that? What if you did take that stand? What's the worst thing that can happen? And inevitably when I know for me, when I look at the worst case and, and for, for a long time, if I don't look at the worst case, I could perpetuate it, a, a bad situation for a long time, and I have. And then the minute I start looking into the worst case and I start presupposing what I might do if this happened, if that happened, all of a sudden the worst case doesn't look so bad. It's like, oh, you know what? There might be possibility in there, right? The, yeah. It's like well, the cactus becomes uh, f- food. It becomes its nourishment in the desert, right? It's, oh, you know what? This may be the obstacle, may actually have the key in it, right? The way, right? That whole stoic thing of the obstacle is the way. And when I work with clients like that, inevitably, you know, when we do the worst case scenario, their courage comes way up because they realize, you know what? I can, this is workable. I can, we can get, this will make a difference. Like talking to them about, hey, it's got to get worse before it gets better right? That, that Heideggerian thing about, you know, transformation always takes on the nature of doing violence to the everyday interpretation and its tranquilized obviousness, right? Like every, the everyday interpretation is not obvious to us. We're tranquilized to it. And so the minute something comes along that interrupts the congruity of that interpretation feels like violence, but it ultimately ends up being a resource, a resource if, if I can look into it, if I can embrace it, if I can include it or integrate it into the process you know, of bringing forth whatever I'm committed to. And that, that's a whole set of conversations and framing, right? It's like the problem isn't the problem. 
the problem is how I have framed the problem or view right. the problem. That's ultimately what I found. And I was reading, uh, there's a bunch occurring from here. I was reading this meme, this gal put a meme on tips to be, you know, a, a successful leader. And they were all very, to have a successful meeting, you know, be, be clear, do these things, do this thing, make sure the team gets the agenda, blah, 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 which is all great, right? We see that all the time. But if the people on the other end of the line don't want to be with you, if there's some, if there's some, <laughs> some kind of distance to who you are, how you've been, or to what they think you are, and you're not addressing that, and you're doing these cool tips, and you're really clear, and you do all that, then you're going to be baffled about, I did everything I was supposed to do, and I still can't get their attention, or it doesn't take have any traction. Well, that's because you didn't really consider what it is you don't want to talk about, which is how you're being with them and why they're using how you're being with them against you. <laughs> and that's the unspoken conversation because that to do that would be to be vulnerable, to put down the yeah. agenda, to slow down and connect before I can go faster and get something done. It's Yeah. I think about how many complaints I hear from top execs. And the, the, some common complaints are like, why don't they? Why won't they? I wish they would. Um, and typically, and to their annoyance from me, I usually say, well, why don't you go ask them? <laughs> now, that's a, there's a novel concept. <laughs> there's a novel concept. But it's, what's interesting is like, you know, it didn't occur to them that they could just go find out. Uh, but there's 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 strategy in it not occurring to them because if they knew that there was an answer out there uh, to be found, then they then they'd be exposed to like the only reason now why I don't know is I don't want to really know. I tell myself I want to know, and I'm upset with them for not doing X Y Z. But I actually don't want to get, I mean, the <laughs> Naked Leadership Podcast. I don't want to get under the covers with them <laughs> to go find out what's really happening for them. So instead, I'll judge them from a distance. I'll be better than them. I'll probably start yeah. to hire their replacement in my head instead of just going and having what would be a very, probably a very quote unquote vulnerable conversation, which is sometimes code for honest conversation to really essentially make the work about, if, if this were an organizing principle that we don't get any work done without locating who's doing the work. Yeah. Well, you're right. hitting on you, man. You're, you're just punching away at me. I have so many times I can relate to those conversations with my own team. Right. So yep. it's like, so true. It's every breakdown I'm convinced and I'm prepared to even debate this with anyone that every breakdown in the business context or in life is a relationship breakdown. It's relational. It's how I'm, it, it's happening because I don't want to see how I'm relating to the people, how I'm relating to the problem, how I'm relating to myself, you know, or yep. you know, like that. I don't, you know, there, and there's all kinds of ways to cover up. You know, you, you, you often, you had talked about before, not on this podcast, but you know, when we had the one that didn't go, there was just the archetype of the hero's journey and how the ancient writings, you know, particularly in the scripture, it talks about Adam and Eve. And, you know, of course they, they, they get aware of themselves because they do what they said, you know, they were asked not to do and, and they become aware and then they want to hide. And yeah. there's so many ways we're constantly doing it with the, the fig leaves as we talked about. And, yeah. you know, they're all, they're bred into us genetically. I mean, defense mechanisms, right. Yeah. To come up. And they've actually in the right time, they're helpful. <laughs> yeah. That's, 
that's something that has become very apparent to me in this conversation is the energy that we are expending to cover up our vulnerability. The imagination that goes into it. The imagination. It's incredible. We are our own imagineers just constantly coming up with ideas and ways that we can cover up how we're afraid we might be vulnerable in any circumstance. It's amazing to me, Dan, when you talk about, you know, our goals in life as humans, as sapiens, as, as um, beings of survival, one of those goals is to preserve energy. We think, right? But yeah. it's just astonishing to me how much energy and mind space we are using to cover up, you know, and I love Adrian, you talked about the analogy of Adam and Eve and using the fig leaves to cover up in the recording that we didn't get. And, but I want to continue that on just because it's so, it's so poignant. It's so obvious to me as we talk about, about this subject, how much energy we are using to cover up these vulnerabilities or think we're covering up these vulnerabilities. The, The vulnerabilities are still there. They're still in the room. Right. Yeah, but we're just not talking sure. about them. We're yeah, just we're, not. Yeah, we're free to relate to them any way we want, right? I mean, that's the freedom. We don't have freedom to uh, to to not be vulnerable. We have freedom to relate to vulnerability, right? <laughs> and, and we're going to either relate to it as something we need to get rid of, which in case, yeah. which which actually produces a very way, different way of being in the world than if it's something I'm relating to as. Be, you know, integrating, like becoming part of and, and yeah. deciding how I'm going to claim it as Adrian would say, or inhabit it, you know, like, how yeah. am I going to, how am I going to live in this? What, what is it given this now? What? Right. Yeah. And you can see it all over the world. I mean, I think the more prosperous we get, the less we think about how to live in that, that reality. And the more we can delude ourselves that we can protect ourselves from it. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that comes up for me is like, what's probably true is that whatever somebody else is judging about me, I'm already judging about myself. Mm. And there's a reason why, because I'm thinking about this claiming idea and a reason about the thing about this integration idea. Um, you know, any kind of moment of epiphany or revelation that I've got about myself, I, I usually say I'm like the last one of the party. Other people have known it for a long time. And typically I get defensive with them uh, because I'm already in some kind of internal judgment and in some kind of internal avoidance, some kind of internal shame about it, some kind of internal like uh, powerlessness about it. And so therefore like all those things, like I don't know what to do about it. So I'll just try to cover it up. And when somebody else brings it up, I'm going to start to defend myself and start to actually see them as an adversary because they're willing to have a conversation with me that I'm unwilling to have with myself. I'm just thinking about an example. As we work with executive teams, uh, how it can occur a couple different ways where it's like, let's, in, and let's explore what's not working. And that usually can occur one of two ways. Like they explore what's not working in like a flattering way or like a superficial way. That's how some people want to talk about that. Like signaling. Or, it's more like signaling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like a virtuous like, signal. yeah, and they'll say things like, I don't want to throw someone under the bus. They love to use that phrase. I don't mm-hmm. want to throw someone under the bus, which is code for, I don't want to talk about who's responsible for what didn't work in a way that might make them look bad. Um, 
because of course in that moment we haven't they haven't discovered or put in place a way we could talk about what didn't work without it being so personal and and that is something to learn from i mean success is one of the biggest barriers to like you know the more successful or abundant you get the more vulnerable it feels because of course failure represents the possibility of losing whatever advancement you've made and so it i think it's, I love what Jim Collins said when he said the greatest enemy, the, the enemy to greatness is good, being good at something, right? Yeah. And he's really speaking to some, I, I've related to it in my life, where when I've gotten really successful at something, I stop looking at what the next level is. Like I've arrived, which really yeah. means I'm now not vulnerable. I've, I've yeah. you know, I, I translates back to I'm not going to die, you know? And yeah. And so then I, I'm yeah. actually more vulnerable because now I'm blind to what I, I need to be present to, right? Because yeah. it's there. It's still there. I, I, I've not changed. I'm still as vulnerable as I, I've ever been. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you're, only, well, you're only as good as your last at bat. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about our clients. Um, and I don't know what the percentage is, uh, is about male-female ratio. If I were to look back at all the hundreds of people I've worked with, but it seems like mostly men. Um, 75, 85% somewhere in their men and, and almost all hard chargers. And what is true, I think of most of them, I know true for me is that, uh, they don't have a lot of language for their internal world. So that's part of what in, inherently creates for them an experience that they don't want to touch because they don't know how to navigate it. And they're really good at navigating like their work. Right. So let's say the president of the company, they know how to navigate uh, a P&L. They know how to navigate a strategic plan. That's easy for them. But in order to like navigate or talk about what's happening for them or get vulnerable or talk about the vulnerability that's already there around how they're doing or what they're scared of, what they think might not work, um, what's not working on the team, how they're blowing it as a top leader, that you know, that, that, that space of like knowing how to do that in a way that feels productive. Cause most of our clients are like really committed to something like being productive or feeling productive. Like that's a easy, maybe even a drug of choice for them. It's like feel this feels like progress. So then I'll go do it. But vulnerability, because we don't know how to like uh, show progress in it because there is no real progress. I mean, well, you know, you know, when you got there because the client, says or i found myself saying i've tried everything there's nothing else we can do yeah right nothing else we can do you're right there probably isn't anything you can do because everything you're doing is coming out of the same place so it's going to produce the results so let's just stop and talk about where how you're relating to it right and that is where if we're doing any, our client of services we can invent together it's not like we we invent together the language till they say you know what that's it and it's amazing how freed up I've gotten when I can name what's going on for me. Because then I can look at what it's trying to tell me about. You know, it's interesting because without vulnerability, there's no way to find the next level of excellence. <laughs> right? If, if I can't be vulnerable. Well, so I'm at a certain level of accomplishment and excellence in my life, and I want to break through to a new level. Well, that's new ground. Right. Yeah. I don't know 
when I when you step like when you venture right anything if I'm following an interest it's going to lead me beyond what I've already done the minute I get beyond what I've already accomplished or what I I'm already familiar with I'm in new territory I have to recalibrate what's there I don't know what lions and tigers and bears are out there and kind of like you know if you think about the archetypical story of the Israelites going into the promised land they didn't want to go in there because they they're the giants, right? So, you know, so who wants to face that variable, right? So it's new yeah. ground and it's, it's going to be vulnerable. It's going to excite my vulnerability and, and it's going to put at stake what I've gotten up into that point. Right. And so now yeah, that's, yeah. and if you think about it, that's where aliveness is, but it's all, it's that fine line between fear and excitement. Right. And, and the excite fear turns to excitement when I've, decided that I'm going to die. I'm, I've already died before I go into battle. I'm, 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 I'm surrendered to, I'm going to put it at stake here and go for it. The adventure begins. Right? Yeah. And inevitably we step out into that new ground. We're probably going in the wrong direction. We have to correct and come back. We probably overshoot the other way. We keep doing that till the, the overshooting gets shorter and shorter and pretty soon we're right on top of it. Right. Like, so it's back and forth back. I go in one direction too far. I come back to the other, but that's only if I'm willing to be vulnerable to what it is I say I'm committed to having very specific and I'm willing to look at where I am in relationship to that. And, and that produces that ongoing sense of vulnerability that, that draws us further and further into the future. That's why I love reading about, you know, people like Michelangelo, Michelangelo and even, you know, right on down through to Steve Jobs, right? Like taking that risk, moving, the, you know, stepping out and then correcting, coming back, failing his way into success right into something that that's valuable for other people. But if he didn't, if people didn't take those kinds of risks, we wouldn't see the incredible transformations we've been able to witness just in our lifetime. Right. As you were yeah. talking about that, Dan, for me, the thing that kept coming to mind was that um, it seems like for me, vulnerability and commitment are so codependent. They're so inter intertwined, you know, when, when we're, um, when we're willing to make that commitment, yeah, then we're we're willing to, or, or then, hopefully, then we're willing to, to to face that vulnerability, to really dive into it and and accept and integrate it, as you were talking about earlier. Yeah, you know, when you make the commitment, you become an individual, right? You distinguish yourself from the crowd, yes. which exposes you to criticism and exposes you to yeah. the herd. It's inherent, you, yeah. Yeah, you become distinct from the herd, which means you could lose the protection of the herd, and you know. So now I'm faced with being disliked, <laughs> which couldn't yeah. equal, ex, you know, excommunication or being called out, right? You're on the fringe. Yeah. yeah. So as we, as we start to wrap up this conversation, I'd love to talk about um, wrapping it all up because we've talked about vulnerability, how we're already vulnerable. It's our choice of whether we're going to claim it at which level we're going to claim it and how we're going to use that in our leadership. And I'd love to just close, I think it'd be interesting to talk about, especially from your, both of your perspectives, um, what is the evidence within the leadership realm, within the business realm, what's the evidence of somebody that chooses or doesn't, or chooses not to claim their vulnerability? Like how do we, what's our measurement? How do we see within an organization, a group or a leader where they're at with their vulnerability? Well, I mean, it starts with their willingness to have a conversation about what's 
next and what's wanted and needed to have that, right? It's like, if you have to know before you commit, you're, you know, like if I have to know exactly what it's going to look like before I commit, or if I'm going to get into a discussion about how everything that didn't work up to now was necessary and I'm going to be right about it. Those are all signs of the inauthenticity of being human, right? Mm. Because we don't want to, we don't want to live in the fact that we don't know and that we are going to find out what it's going to take. So if somebody's really wrapped up in defending what didn't work, or they're unwilling to st make a claim or stake a claim for something new that's beyond what we've already had, you know, like what's next in some way, shape or form. And they're willing to stand by it. Well, then, you know, pretty much that there's, they're going to be reproducing what they already have, even if what they say they don't want is what they already have. I mean, you know, the old saying, we never get enough of what we, we really don't want, you know, because it's predictable. <laughs> Yeah, we'll settle for that. But I think that's, for me, that's what I listen for and see if I can reinvent the language in, you know, like the invitation to, to get vulnerable to what it is you're committed to, like what is next, whoever you are, like wherever you're like in the direction of what you say matters most. Like, a, yeah, a, I'm... a person with a vision is never held hostage by a circumstance. Right. The circumstance, if I really have a vision, becomes the actual provision for that vision, like because I'm willing to step into it. I, you know, but I've really got to feel that I've got to really get connected to that future that I say matters. If I don't have a future big enough, I won't go through the pain of transformation, right? Getting there. So yeah, I uh one answer of mine to, to your question, Chad, is there's so many things flying through my head right now. Um, but you know, I, if we, part of this vulnerable conversation is found whenever a team or a person uh, is willing to connect to their own, why they're up to what they're up to. Cause the opposite is also true is that I think a lot of people hate, they hate their work. Even if they're very successful, they actually feel like it's a problem for them because they've disassociated their purpose for it and what's there for them in the work, right? So they just are gonna have a job or have a career as if it's a thing instead of an environment in which I get to express myself. So a lot of corporate life, uh, job life, uh, because of that, we've shut down the conversation about why am I here? And why does this matter to me? And why do I want to be here? We've quit answering why, I mean, we answer why I wanna be here when we interviewed for the job and then we got it and then we quit answering that question. Um, and so therefore, like we essentially, what I would say to a client is like, we prostitute ourselves, right? Like we, we, we let ourselves be used by the job instead of utilizing the environment to, for full expression. And I'm not saying that like Namby Pamby or some kind of like, let's go be hippies and live on a commune. Cause that's not, I mean, for me, that's not like the softer side. And, uh, uh, that's like, that's where vitality comes from, where I can integrate what I want for my life and like the mission of the organization so like if if so to your question like if it's it's happening really well if it's happening really well then uh then a corporate leader is helping their people integrate those two um those two conversations so mm -hmm. anytime someone's not 
hitting the mark. They're actually really curious about what's going on for their people. Yeah, that's good. It's not a waste of time to go pull somebody aside and said, hey, how are you really doing? Yeah, that's, because that's what not, you, that's not, you don't know what you're yeah. going to discover. That might transform, take the team, leap it. You don't know that that's going to, right? So you're, that's what you're curious about. You know it's somewhere there. That there's something you're not seeing because it's not happening. So how can I find what's wanted and needed? That's a, but that's, coming, that's like having a vision looking back, like, well, this is worth investigating, right? Rather than my vision is just to preserve myself and make sure I get through yeah. this alive. And then I can go home tonight and watch my television show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's well, it's a, I mean, I'll put my, my cap on it is this is like, there's a, there's a, there's a potential and possibility uh, for, for deep connection at work. Um, and one of the places that deep connection can be found is to explore for myself and with people on the team where our dicks, where our disconnection already lies. Mm-hmm. So to go, when there's, when there's lack of results that it is to dance point, which I agree with, there's disconnection happening on lots of multiple different layers, which we don't have time to get into, but where the disconnection is for a great leader to come and say, Hey, this isn't really working. Is it? Let's talk about this. Or we seem to be at odds with each other. Can we talk about it? Or, Hey, I think we're both judging ourselves pretty heavily. Let's talk about it. Let's try on different frames. Let's look at this through different frames. Let's see. That's right. Let's just take different views and see what comes up. Every time I'm in a, every time I'm running a meeting, you get on your phone. Let's talk about that. What's up? You know, like, what's up? You know, what's here? What do I not want to see? And might there be some life there? What conversation needs to be had here? Yeah. Yeah. The, the reason I asked the question or framed the question the way I did is because there's something that, um, there's a context that both of you always use, especially in our meetings or when we think, when we say we're intending for something, and that question is, well, what's the evidence of that? And my encouragement is anybody that's listening to this podcast, and if you're listening to it and saying, yeah, I'm vulnerable with my people, uh, I've, I do this, I do that, I'm creating results. And I, I would just encourage you to explore that question. Great. What's the evidence? Like, what's the evidence on your team with your people? Yeah. Um, yeah. How do they experience you? Have you asked them how they experience you? Have you, you know, and that's, those are the kinds of questions that are valuable to start to contemplate and run through when we talk about this conversation, because it is, uh, it, it, it's so, uh, it's so vulnerable to, <laughs> to, to be yeah. in this space. And, and, um, and anyway, I think it's, it's valuable for us to ask ourselves those questions. And that's where I really wanted to end on a place in a place where we could put the rubber on the road. You know, like if you walk around, it's just making a practice when you're working with your people, just ask them what in the conversation, like, is there a conversation we ought to be having that we're not having that you'd like to have? Mm-hmm. See what comes back and yeah. mean it like, like invite them. Like I'd really be interested. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Anytime you're finding yourself correcting somebody's behavior the second time, there's, yeah. a, there's a conversation you weren't willing to have the first time because behavior always comes out of a conversation. So instead of saying, hey, why didn't you do that again? You, you might just say, hey, what, what do we need to be talking about? What's really going on here for you? Because I, I noticed this and this and this. And this. So what's really, what's really going on for you? I really want to know. Yeah, that's great. Great conversation, gentlemen. Well, thanks. Good. Yeah, thanks for hosting it, man. Love it. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Join us for the next conversation. We'll talk to you soon. 
Chao. Chao. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. If this podcast has entertained you or helped you in any way, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. This helps us grow the community and the podcast. And honestly, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing this podcast with those who are looking for a new way of leading. Whether they're leading a corporation, a community, a church, a family, we want them part of this conversation. We'll be coming at you next week with a new episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. And until then, lead on.